everybody. How you doing? And welcome to the John Riley Project. And as you can see here in the studio, I've got two guests with me. The legendary Mr. Pete Neal is here on my left. How you doing, Pete? Good. good. Okay. Your first three-person podcast. Yeah, we have like a menage here going on. So, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Pete brought his good friend Mike Smith to join us. How are you? Good. Okay. Yeah. So we're you know Pete has been talking about having this conversation for the longest time. Yep. And been a part of a couple three years. Right. And we wanted to do it earlier, but COVID and other circumstances. But now we're all together. So now we can talk about it together. So you want to kick it off, Pete? Is that all the uh, small introduction? You're giving me a lot of time. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be telling a hell of a story. Okay, good. I look forward to that. Now, by the way, for the audience, we are live streaming this on Facebook and on YouTube. So we welcome all of your thoughts and comments just uh, or questions. Just type them in and we'll read them on the air. Um, but yeah, Pete, why don't you just kind of intro into what we're going to discuss? Okay. I've, I've been here before. <laughs> right. Thank you, everybody. We did a podcast on Eureka Moments. I've also done a podcast. We did a podcast on um, convergent coils. Right. Yeah. We just did a trip to Spring Mountain. You were beat out. Mike Smith did the first trip to okay. Spring Mountain. All right. He was my camera guy for the first trip for, to Spring Mountain. Mm -hmm. Mike and I go back, God, a long time, huh? Long time. A long time. Yeah. I'm known as Bunko Pete. Bunko? Bunko Pete. Okay. Because we met through friends of friends in a die game where you get together as couples and play Bunko. Okay. All right. And since he had another friend, Pete, he had to differentiate, so I became Bunko Pete. <laughs> and, you know, over the years, we, we played Bunko for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, we became good friends, and there was one common point that he had, Mike had with me, and that was motorcycles. Okay, yeah. Right. This story, that's the fulcrum of the whole story, is focused on a motorcycle, which I'll talk about. Okay. Um, yeah, the Bunko Group, we did cruises together, we vacationed together. Yeah, yeah a lot of things. <laughs> a good group. Good group. Yeah. And, yeah, it was a very tight that we played every month, right? Every month? Every month. And we'd circulate around different people's yeah, homes. Yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was cool. Very, very cool. But, as I said, the one common thing that filtered down in the process was Mike and I had the commonality of a love of Hawaii. Right. And then motorcycles. Okay. Those two things put together. You, you put motorcycles in Hawaii in the same breath, and it's a hell of a time. Yeah. For for your YouTube video, uh, you'll have the link for the circumnavigation of Maui. Okay. Okay. Put that there, because I'm constantly going up to people on motorcycles and saying, God, you've, once in your life, you've got to circumnavigate Maui. So that's the road to, to Hana, right? More. Yeah, but you, more. but you go further, You go. it's like a dirt road on the other end of the island, right? It, yep. <laughs> we yeah. did dirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, we, we've done the circumnavigation. You go around the island. It takes you an entire day to go all the way around. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you'll go through seven different climate zones. Right. All right. Desert. 
genuine desert, like, like mm-hmm. here in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, yeah, it's a magical ride. Uh, it's the only place in the world I've ever done a three-point turn on a motorcycle. <laughs> Must have been a tight spot, right? Very. T- I mean, when mm-hmm. they have hairpin turns, they don't blush at all. Those mm-hmm. are hairpin turns. All right. Oh. And like I said, I got myself in a situation where I had to make a three-point turn. So, um, but I want to go back to another aspect that comes out in this story, this, this whole story. If you don't mind, almost a lecture rather than a podcast here. People are more than willing to. Yeah, sure. You know that I'm the son of a clergyman. Right. I was a son of an Episcopalian minister, and I was very, very, I mean, from birth through 18, I was an integral part of the Neild family at church. I was Mm -hmm. in the choir. I was an acolyte. You know, I got... I was constantly doing something with my dad. Mm-hmm. And one thing that bubbled up was that every parish, and he did four, four or five separate parishes. I don't know, my sister will correct me. He walked into that parish with what he called a dying parish. And later on, I asked him, what do you mean by a dying parish? He says, because there's more last rites and funerals than there are weddings and baptisms oh okay he graded his performance in church as a clergyman on that basis he wanted to have a church where he was performing more marriages and baptisms than last rites and funerals Mm -hmm. the unfortunate thing was my dad and I um, had differences of opinion about uh, what I should do with my life and, and there was a time frame where he and I did not communicate at all but we just before he passed away about four or five years before he passed away we mended the bridge we got together and we did a lot of talking and I asked him I said I ran away from the church because I was exposed to the business end of running a church I never got spiritual it was always work me. And yes, I was performing in the services of last rites, funerals, weddings, and baptisms. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a job to me without any compensation. And I'd never connected with any of the people going through those things. It was, oh, another wedding. (laughs) Right. Oh, this, you know. So, he and I talked about that very subject. And he says, I'm looking for someone who wants to find and understand God. Mm. And I said, that has nothing to do <laughs> with last rites, funerals, weddings, and baptisms. He right. says, no. He says, those are just things that take place in a church, the organized church. But he says, what I'm really after is I'm trying to find somebody who is motivated by the spirituality that they are involved in. He says, those are the people I seek out. Those are the people that I'm here as a clergyman. Okay? Okay. The reason I'm having this podcast, or I've been asking you to do this podcast, was COVID got in the way and a lot of other things. Uh, The Spring Mountain, 
we planned to go up there and do two days of filming. Yeah, we did. I made a decision based on the performance of my car that cut that a little short to 20 minutes. <laughs> Just a little. A little and, short. And I felt a little bad about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. You told me not to worry about it because you had a good time, yada, yada, yada. But still, I felt a little burdened. Okay. Okay. So, something took place over in Maui that I also had a goal for. You know I'm interested in the equinoxes and the solstices. I love to Mm -hmm. do those things. I had built up an objective of going to the top of Haleakala. Mm. That's the volcano. That's the volcano. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go to the top of Haleakala on the summer solstice, and I wanted to stand at the top of the volcano as the sun passed overhead. Okay. That was an objective. All right. How to do that? On a motorcycle. All right. Who did that with? Mike. Okay. All right. Now, here we go. I was all for that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So... I was starting to feel a little bit unsure of myself on the back of a Harley Davidson. So I asked Mike, I said, do you mind if we make a couple of practice runs up on the north coast of the island here so I can practice the hairpin turns because we're going to be doing it at elevation and I don't want to screw up. Yeah, those bikes are big and heavy and you don't want to slow down and tip over. So we spent a day, we spent a full day practicing up there on the north coast, didn't we? Oh, you're, you're referring to the, the other end of the island that right. we did the switchbacks and everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was better out. Matter of fact, at one point in time, my bike fell over. <laughs> right. And he helped me pick it up. Did you yeah. pick up a Harley Davidson? <laughs> uh, yeah, they're heavy. Yeah. They're a heavy bike. <laughs> yeah. They're he, heavy. Got, he got me upright, uh, <laughs> and we got going, and we had a good practice session. The second thing was... Um, that I had to find out about was the weather. I mean, it's Hawaii. Right, yeah. The top of Haleakala is up there. Yeah. You're in the clouds. Mm -hmm. If there's a cloudy day, you're going to be in the clouds. It's going to be wet. It's going to be rainy. We may not. June 21st at solar noon may not be pleasant. Mm -hmm. So the day, that day, we started out and Mike took the lead and took us out to the vantage point, the viewpoint there uh-huh. on the south coast of the island where we could eyeball the top of the volcano, and it was clear. Oh, nice. And he says, you want to go? And I, I said, we haven't looked at the other side yet. There could be clouds coming. Mm-hmm. All right. So we went up, and we had, what was the name of that restaurant? Oh, Charlie's. We stopped at Charlie's. We've been there a couple times. A couple of times, yeah. Yeah. We went there, and then we went to the bamboo forest. We walked through the bamboo forest. That was kind of cool. But we were making our way to the north side to check no clouds. It was going to be a great day. Terrific. So um, we started to make our way back, and we started to attack the mountain. And I'm going to stop right there because that's where I'm going to bring up the T-shirts. You got a wide shot possible? Yeah, right here. Let's go to a wide shot. You'll notice that Mike and I are wearing the same T-shirt. Yeah, I noticed (laughs) that when you walked in. I felt kind of left out. (laughs) This T-shirt, 
I picked up, it, it's, it's Maui, Hawaii. On the back is all the highways that Mike and I have been on. Okay. Maui. All right. So I said, that's a good souvenir shirt for Mike and I. This was the year after Okay. the trip that we're talking about. Okay. So I bought the shirts. I was there. Mike wasn't. They're coming home with me so we can both have the T-shirt. And it wasn't until after I purchased them that I noticed that it had a Latin long. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I could see it there. Yeah, latitude, longitude. Where the hell is that? That's one point. Yeah, it is. Where is that one point? Okay, so you plotted it on Google Maps? Went to Google Maps, got that point. I said, where is this spot? That spot marks the middle of the road we never made it to. Ah. It's a life objective for Mike and I to do Haleakala together in a Corvette. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No motorcycle. Because that day, June 25th, I'm June 21st, mm -hmm. was my last day on a motorcycle. Same here. Same there. Yeah. I came home and sold mine uh, shortly later. Right. Uh, so. Right. Okay. Here we go. You ready? I'm going to tell this, Tell what happened. You gonna we started out of this little town on the north shore of Hawaii. We went through. We stopped and got gas. Mm -hmm. We said, okay, here's the road, and here we go. And I was in the lead. And I got to a straight section of road, and the, gr the roads are pretty green on both sides. The mm -hmm. bushes and stuff will encroach onto the road. But I could have sworn that I saw the front end of a car poking out from behind one of the bushes. And I said, there's no way in hell that guy sees me. So I didn't brake. All I did was I backed off the throttle. Right. <clears throat> Mike was behind me 100 yards or so behind me. And as I was, I was slowing down as I was approaching this car, and when I finally got to the point where I could see the driver, I started glaring at him. Mm -hmm. All right, I wanted to have eye contact, and I, my foot was on the brake. I'm ready to brake in case he comes out. This is something that motorcycle drivers always have to do. You're not only driving for yourself, but you got to drive for everybody around you. <laughs> Right. All right. Right. You have to anticipate what they could do mm -hmm. that could hazard you. Mm -hmm. So I had my eye on him and I was glaring at him. Finally, we made contact, but I was almost on top of him. Okay. But I gave him my best. I had my, a good beard then, <laughs> the long hair. I looked like you come out and you've got consequences. <laughs> that was the look I was Right. Right. On. Okay. And. As I passed him, I kept eye contact on him, all right? My head's over my shoulder now, mm -hmm. all right? I can't turn it back any further with me now past him. Right. So I bring my head around, and as I pass by my side view mirror, he leaves. And I go, where the fuck is Mike? Uh-oh. All right? So... He disappeared out of that rearview mirror. I'm coming around back front. I catch the other rearview mirror, and Mike's flying through the air. Oh, no. 
he was hit. Oh. Okay. By, by the BMW. Those damn BMW drivers. <laughs> Mike was flying through the air towards a rock face. Oh no. So this is this was gonna be bad. I immediately got into a U-turn. I came back around. By the time I got to him, the bike was up into the rocks. The BMW was also up into the rocks with the motorcycle underneath it. Mm -hmm. But Mike was laying on the side of the road in a lot of pain. Oh, wow, wow. I don't recall if when you got there, if I was face down or, or... You were still on your side. On my side. You were on your side. And the first thing I heard you say to me is, where are my hearing aids? <laughs> yeah. And they were laying right there on the pavement. Pete, we just got a comment from Yuri on the live stream. He can't hear you when you're talking, so you might want to move that mic oh, a little closer. A little closer? Yeah. Okay. How's that? Yuri, you're, you're all right now? Yeah, he'll, he'll comment. So, Tell me if you're okay. Well, why don't you go ahead and continue? And right. just, just make sure you're in. All right, I'll speak a little louder. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yuri, don't worry about it because I'm about to stop talking because this story turns into Mike's story real quick here. Um car started thopping. Obviously, we occupied the road. The guy that hit Mike says, oh, I'm going to back up. I said, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. You're not moving a damn inch. Right. right? Mm -hmm. I parked my Harley in back of him, so he was wedged between Mike's motorcycle underneath his front end and me. Mm -hmm. I'm running over to get to Mike. This lady comes up, and she says, I'm a nurse, and she's holding her credentials. She says, I will take care of him. Wow. All right. So I'm on my phone now calling 911. All right. I got a reception. I said, are you talking about the motorcycle accident on such and such a road? And I said, I guess so. <laughs> you know, and they said, we're already dispatching police and fire trucks. EMTs are on their way. Wow. And I oh. said, thank you. By this time, she's got Mike rolled over onto his back. The nurse has. Mm -hmm. That's what I remember. Okay. The helmet is coming off. Right. I remember the clip. Yeah. And at that time, the EMT showed up, and they took care of you from that point. And it was all taken care of, police and everything, probably over the next 10 minutes, which I could tell you the details of, but I won't because the last thing I remember is standing on the side of the road with my by myself, watching the ambulance leave with Mike in it on the way to some hospital somewhere. Wow. There's a little bit of overlap um, between what his, his memory that he uh, points out the most of and where mine is. Mm -hmm. At that crossover point, um, I remember the first thing uh, Pete coming up to me and saying, uh, well, he didn't say anything. He just came up to me, and I says, it's my leg. I don't feel it. Is it still there? He said, yes, and nothing more. Okay. Uh, that's all I needed to hear. Mm -hmm. And then I said, there's my hearing at, aid. <laughs> yeah, your leg was at right angles to the rest of you. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was badly mashed. Oh, man. See, it's good he didn't tell me that. <laughs> yeah. Just... I, I didn't want to hear that. I just wanted to know it was still there. Right. But it, when you, uh, there's a lot that runs through your mind just before impact. And 
and when the impact is over. Uh, in a half a second, uh, a lot of things uh, right down to where's my left foot, where's my right foot, am mm-hmm. I throttling or backing off? But I was hard on my, re- on my rear brake and in a skid and looking eye to eye to this guy. Um, and it appeared as though he's looking right through me. Uh, and my thought was, surely he's going to stop. I'm already in a hard brake. I can't take my foot off of the brake. I know he's going to hit my leg. Um, if I do that, it's, what, it's going to make it worse? There's a lot of things you think you can do, but it just happens so quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next thought was, it's imminent. Uh, and the last thought before impact was I can take this hit. And then I looked up out of peak and I know that it happened or we continue going down the road not knowing. And I looked up and I saw his eyes, even though the distance, I could see his eyes in his left mirror, which is pretty darn amazing. Yeah, that is. How you focus in on things. Uh, and then, uh, like I say, the overlapping in the event there, uh, then I found myself looking at asphalt and uh, taking mental inventory. As, and one thing that came out was I don't feel my right leg. And uh, and then I mentioned it to Pete. He, he responded. And I said, uh, I could see my one of my hearing aids laying on the asphalt. And I says, oh, get my hearing aid. I'm thinking to myself, there's a couple thousand dollars right there. <laughs> yeah, 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 at least. Um, <laughs> And then, um, and then I mentioned, oh, get my cell phone. And then the last thing I remember uh, shortly after was the woman's voice and a card being waved over my head, obviously showing her badge or ID card mm-hmm. and, uh, and saying, uh, it's okay, I'm a licensed nurse. And then, then taking, starting to take off the helmet now, I think you said that I still appear to be alert at all moment. the way to the ambulance, but I don't remember after the helmet thing. I don't yeah. don't recall any of that. I thought you were. Uh-huh. Okay. It wasn't until later that I found out, no, you were. No. Because <laughs> I sat at that intersection for a long time. Yeah. And I, first of all, I had to wait for the motorcycle shop to send a tow truck to come pick up Mike's bike from the side of the road and tell them that I'd get their other Harley back to the shop at the end of the day, but I wanted to get to whatever hospital they were taking him to to find out what was going on, and that's when I found out that he'd been unconscious from the scene is what they said. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll take their word for it, but I thought he was okay. You know, I knew he was in serious trouble with the leg because legs aren't supposed to be at 90 degrees right. to, to the rest of your body. Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, that started what was, we're, we're discussing the start of what turned out to be a two-week nap. Yes. Did you um, uh, give the, your um, definition of a eureka moment? Oh yeah. yeah, we spent a whole podcast. On oh, okay. It. So this uh, this is that accident, Mike. Uh huh. Is not only a eureka moment for both of us mm-hmm. in disastrous consequences for 
for you and for me. And I still, I feel guilt about shortchanging his trip to Spring Mountain. You can imagine <laughs> how I feel about A, the wreck, well, yeah, B, we didn't make yeah. it to the top of Aliakala. No, but We've that's that. we can right. still do that. Yeah. yeah, won't be on a motorcycle. No, <laughs> no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. But the next, the other thing I talked about before in a prior podcast was convergent coils. We all live on a life that's spiraling around, and mm -hmm. there are times when friends overlap. Right. We were overlapped. We were on motorcycles. We were out having a good time that day. Mm -hmm. until oh, beautiful time, yeah. Until the eureka moment of the accident, which we had no control over, but it's changed both of our lives. There you go. That's what I wanted. That's how I, uh, when I look at the eureka phrase, that's the way I think of it. Something dramatic that happens out of your control that changes your life forever, yeah. which it certainly has. But you... In that two-week time frame mm -hmm. where you were in an induced coma. Right. The number of injuries that he suffered is unbelievable. Yeah. it's a, for, He's got it listed A through M. Yeah, I saw the list. It's yeah. unbelievable. All right. Uh, maybe, so. maybe you'll give us a read of that, but of, of all the different things that happened to that guy at that accident. Yeah, did you, we'll did you want me to go through those? Yeah, just list them off there. Uh, the crushed tibia, that's the 90 degree. Yeah. Uh, and the fibia next to it was snapped. A broken artery behind the knee, that was bleeding internally. And uh, my leg was swelling up from the knee down. Mm -hmm. uh, what was holding me together was long laid uh, jeans. Okay. Still holding it together. And then uh, concussion, uh, two strokes, and uh, three fractures in my spine. Uh, they call it a bruised heart, and I'm not sure what that entails, except it's not supposed to be good. And let's uh, uh, see, then. Then they had to open the leg uh, on both sides in emergency. That was to relieve the blood pressure and then fix the artery. And then problems from uh, blood thinners that created blood clotting, which ended up going to my brain and my lungs. And uh, that was not good. And um, then they had to uh, open the other leg because blood clotting or debris from the crush got into the artery for my good leg and cut off the flow to it. So they had to open it up oh. in a section wow. to save the foot because it was starting to go cold. I had a crack in my my foot and the bone that they didn't find until after it had healed. <laughs> it had already gone through its course while everything else was trying to heal. And, uh, and then I've got nerve damage. Some of it may be for life. And of course, it's left me with, because of the nerves and stuff, we're wiggling the toes, moving your big toe like you normally take for granted, uh, where you can trip. I can trip on a grout line on tile. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy, but you, you learn to compensate. So that was so. N. This is not a light case. No, not at all. I mean, I'm, wow. Person, person one, the nurse, that came out of God knows where. 
like, like in, a, in a right when it happened, it sounded like we're, we're she almost, was there almost immediately. She she had to have been in the first car. What are the odds of that? Happening? Oh, she was there yeah. right away. All right, to me, it was just like I had, I had just from? made the U turn to come back, and Dude was talking to the guy that hit him about, you know, and I stopped him from. I parked my motorcycle and back at the BMW so it wouldn't move. And she was in my face with the ID at that point. Wow. The other thing that amazed me is by the time I got to the hospital, they'd gone through all the x-rays, all the imaging, and all that stuff in the ER. They'd received them in the ER. They'd done what they could for the bleeding. They'd sent him off for all the image work. He was coming back down on a gurney. Gail, your wife was there. Wendy was there, my wife. And this doctor in a wheelchair rolled up. And he said, we're going to save his leg. Here's a guy fighting for life at the moment. Mm -hmm. A guy in a wheelchair says, we're going to save his leg. The fact that he was going to save his life <laughs> wasn't even on the table. Right. That was a given to this guy. Mm-hmm. You know the name of that doctor. I never... No, see, I was not there. <laughs> That's right. You were asleep. Yeah, I was this but, is really important for me to hear as well. Yeah. So. But, I mean, that guy stepped up. <laughs> now, it turns out this hospital over there in Maui transitioned over to Kaiser Permanente that week. Okay. My first, they were becoming a Kaiser hospital. Mm-hmm. All right. But not while I was there. They were still Maui Memorial. Yeah. All right. But the funny story is, I go the next day, I'm going there to visit Mike to see what I can, to see what I can learn, right? And I go in the front lobby. I'm here to see Mike Smith. And she says, oh, you mean the first Kaiser patient? <laughs> oh, I And see. I said, yeah. And they escorted me up to critical care. They was, he was a special patient there with special treatment. I couldn't mm. believe the oddball things that fall into mm. place. A year later, a T-shirt with the mm. lat and long of where we're going to go. Wow. Mm. Wow. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. I agree. All right. So you were asleep for two weeks. Yes. Tell us about the dreams. Well, I'm sure in two weeks, um, anybody that has dreams in two weeks could not count how many dreams they may have had in two weeks. Uh, I can't imagine me being in this dream state and not having a whole bunch of dreams. But I come out of it two weeks later, and I remember I always said five or six, but actually there was six dreams. And the reason I said five or six is that two of them uh, we're back to back about the same thing, but different. So I, I didn't know is that the same? Just, but they were both different. Uh, to describe, starting with number one, start with the Domino Man. <laughs> okay, I call it the Domino Man because in the dream I was floating over myself. I was laying on my side, uh, up on one elbow, and I was talking to my wife and. My two kids were there, and they all, we all looked the same. We had these little domino rectangular shapes in our skin, nicely golden tanned like we had all just been around the pool for a week. And, uh, and I thought, well, geez, 
what's with these lines? They follow the pattern of the muscle lines, and they're, I would say it's actually kind of attractive. And, um, and then it turns out that these two doctors happen to be working on my leg, and I'm watching a movement like the, what's called the Robocube, where they're pushing one, one direction and then another, and the little dominoes are moving them with their thumb. And uh, the goal is to find the bad domino, remove it, put the new domino in, put all the other ones back, and you're healed. We actually went to a party that same day in my dream uh, to a very swanky party, and mm-hmm. uh, the, all of the people that came to the party had the same feature about their skin. And everybody, even ourselves, were arriving uh, dressed very nicely in limousines, and we were all introduced at the door like in a grand ballroom. There was most friends and family and acquaintances, and and everybody was uh, introduced uh, by the last name Dynasty, in my case, the Smith Dynasty. Mm-hmm. And uh, the dream pretty much ends with us uh, mingling and getting to speak with uh, family and friends and sharing old times. And then the dream drifted off. And now for number two. <laughs> um, that one uh, was about time. And I saw myself go through the accident or a accident and I was hit and um, it looked to be bad, life-threatening. And then I had a voice over my shoulder say, you know, I can reverse this and make it to where it didn't happen. Would you like me to do that? And I said, well, yes, of course, that would be great. Mm -hmm. And so it was done. I was watching it like a movie happen again. And uh, it it didn't happen. There was a slight change in it. And I go, great, it didn't happen. It worked. And about that time, I looked over to the side and saw a newsstand, like the quarter machines that you would open the front and get the oh, newsstand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can read through on the headlines. And I looked down, and it was... Um, a young girl killed in the city getting hit by a truck. Oh. And I said, I don't remember that happening. And then the voice behind me explained that when something in time changes, other things changes. And I said, oh, my gosh, by me changing this, I caused her to die? And he said, yes, a male's voice. Um, I immediately said, can we reverse it again, make it back the way it was? And he said, done. And then I watched it again. And uh, same accident, very bad, life-threatening. But what I could see was that I was still alive. And then I looked down at the uh, newsstand, and the news had changed as some political uh, statement on the headlines. Right. And then number three comes along, and it was about time also. This is where... I didn't know if one was running into the other or if they were separate, but it was entirely separate. It was, uh, I was coming off of a job, uh, a mechanical job, and a person come up to me and he had work clothes on. He says, oh, great, we found you. Um, the uh, There had been a lot of things happening 
in society that were not normal. And he said that the the fabric of time is out of balance. And could you help us? We need your help. I said, yes, what can I do? And so he took me to a, a location that looked like the White House Capitol building with a dome on it. Right, right. And inside uh, is where they had the Liberty Bell hanging. And I asked him, why is the Liberty Bell, ha- Bell hanging inside this dome? And he explained that it's such a, a critical point in history that if it's disturbed, it can throw out the fabric at time and everything will alter and not stay on its course. So the one that the people see is a fake. It's uh, just for show. Uh, and it was obviously out of balance. It was like an item that you'd see on the table, crooked. Right. And uh, they said their plan was to make it level and that where they needed my help was to recover this particular ball. And I was to take this ball, kind of like a soccer ball, and I was to put it, when they get it level, I was to put it under a corner and it was going to shim it in place. And it, this point i like to remind people this is a dream <laughs> right yeah, you know Can't why why with a ball no. <laughs> why a ball <laughs> uh so i they say okay this is where you got to go find the ball so i take off to recover the ball i find the ball and I, oh great here it is i'm running out of time i've got to get back and i started to run back and i tripped and fell and when I did, I dropped the ball, and it rolled across the street and down into a storm drain. And I tried to re- recover it and couldn't reach it, and I felt ashamed. And um, I thought, what's this going to do? I can't, I can't go back. I don't have the ball that they need. So I, ashamed, ran and hid in a bell tower uh, in a town square. And I kind of got down below the short wall up in the tower and fell asleep. When I woke up at dawn, I looked over the edge to see what kind of changes had taken place. And I thought, well, it can't be so bad. There's there's the milkman down there delivering milk to the porch. And uh, the flag is being raised in the town square. And newspapers are being thrown on front porches. And then all of a sudden, oh, no. Is that milk truck being driven by Goofy? And he's driving <laughs> crazy all over the street. And the flag, it's upside down. That's Mickey Mouse raising that flag. That's not good. And the Donald Duck and his boys are throwing the newspapers all over. Oh, my gosh. What could this mean all over the world? I've really let them down. And then I felt a hand on my shoulder that says, great, I found you. I know what happened. We've recovered the ball, and we still have time. Come with me. And I, I can still help? And he said, yes. And so, shorten the story up, we made it back to the um, uh, White House building, and they sh- leveled it out, and I put the ball in its place, and it held it, and it was level, and I felt so grateful that I had a second chance. Mm. And uh, I turned to thank the 
the worker that came to get me and his helpers, and there was no one there. And that's where it ended. And uh, then I think the what am I, I'm number four now, right? That's amazing that you, in your dream, you were able to affect, like you say, the fabric of time, uh-huh. and you were able to get things right, to rebalance the world, essentially. I was given the opportunity. Okay. Where in my mind, I know that there's a lot that I can do. Um, There's a lot of stumbling blocks in our way when we go to get something done. Mm -hmm. And in my case, I literally dropped the ball. And that went through my head Mm. in the dream. This actually, that one should be titled, I Dropped the Ball. So this is all happening during the two weeks that you're in an induced coma. Yes, uh, and they corrected me several times saying that it's not really like we we all understand induced comas but th- they use drugs now I guess they refer to it as a dream state put your mind into a I don't know some sort of uh, dreaming relax portion you know and this is continuous for the entire two weeks yes, it's not like- although I couldn't tell you if I had all six dreams in the very last five minutes. Right. Or if I had them right. across the two weeks. I understand. So all I know is I woke up and it's, even today I can I can see these right down to the feel of a table or, or the color on a building. I see all of the in-betweens like a movie uh, even today. And we're talking at the four-year mark. Four-year mark coming up. June 21st will be four years. But so. Now, I, unfortunately, I left. Wendy stayed in the hospital there. They are used to having tourists get in the world of trouble. So they have little cottages right there on the hospital property where family can stay. Hmm. So Gail and Wendy stayed. I came back to the States. I had to go back to work. Um. But it was two weeks there. How much longer did you spend? Because Wendy only stayed until your daughter showed up, right? Well, she showed up uh, a week later. A week later, yeah. I think. All right. Or maybe not quite a week, but pretty close. Yeah, because Wendy came home. And then it was, what, two, three weeks before you caught the plane to come back? I was back on mainland uh, three weeks after. Three weeks. So it was a week after coming out of the coma. Yeah. Medevac flight from Hawaii to San Diego. So the, I got a chance to come down and meet. This is important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mike comes in on a medevac flight, private jet, down to Brownfield. Mm-hmm. He's plane pulls up, and I'm going. God, <laughs> back in my engine days, the engines that are on this aircraft were my favorite engines to work on. Oh, okay. Two each CF-34s from GE Lynn, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. I said, he came home in style. Yeah, right know? on. <laughs> but, yeah, they took him out of the aircraft on a very elaborate mechanism, so he, he stays level on the stretcher all the way to the ground, and they wheel him across the tarmac into an ambulance and off to the new Kaiser Hospital. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. 
That uh, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, I says perfect flight CF thirty four engines, yeah. the smoothest engines, no vibration whatsoever on that flight. I remember the boarding of the plane. That part, um, I was alert on. Uh, it was in the gurney and right on up like an elevator. They hook it to the stairway right behind the cockpit, mm-hmm. and it goes up to that door, and it, t- it takes you me level in there, and then it actually makes the 90-degree turn once it gets inside, even though you're on a gurney, makes that turn, and like on a track, like a roller coaster, brings you in so far, and they push you to the side, and it locks into place. It's really quite quite a deal. I remember laying there thinking, this is amazing. Of course, they had me drugged pretty good. But So during that two weeks, there were moments where you were... Is, is the word lucid? You were aware, and then you would drift back into the dream state? I was not here. I was the, uh, as far as this reality, I never made it to this reality for the entire two weeks. Okay. I didn't know I was in a dream world. It was so real that even you'd, you'd go, well, hi, Mickey, how you doing? It was just everything is... Uh, your new reality yeah. in the dreams. It's yeah. That whole series triggered a way of thinking on your part over the last four years that I, I'm going to let you get there, okay, and do Which court. part? Your spirituality. Oh, yes. I mean, okay. it's the dreams and that dream state that led to that, correct? Yeah. Yes, this is all the eureka moment. All these dreams, uh, all six of them, have led to a, a point where I am today and grateful for it. Um, number four, I think, was the next one, uh, which was about love. And it uh, it's probably the longest one, but see if I can uh, sh- shorten it up here a bit. Basically, I was leaving another job, always related to work clothes somewhere. And I'm walking in a field next to a chain-link fence. Uh, and uh, off in the distance, I can see some warehouses. And uh, it's kind of tall um, shrub and dry grass area that I'm at. And all of a sudden, there's a loud uh, boom and a bright light, like lightning. And... When I open my eyes, I, geez, I'm okay. What happened? And now I'm part of the chain link fence. You're part of the chain link fence. Meaning that when I look down at myself, I see the chain link lacing its way through my body. I'm actually laced into the fabric. So you're kind of like, uh, like part of me, I had like a a leg free and and an arm free, Mm -hmm. but right through the other arm and several passes through my body I'm part of the fence I can't move interesting uh, uh, I was I can move enough to look around and see that I was not bleeding I was not in pain but I couldn't move and I was part of this fence how could this be uh, if I holler for help there's nobody around I'm out here in the wilderness and uh well, lo and behold, somebody comes up, and we're close. 
uh, and says, boy, you're in a fix. I think I can help you out here. I need some help. So he takes off for a little bit and comes back, and he's got helpers. And they basically cut the section of fabric out that I'm laced into, and uh, there's enough of the fabric going with it that they need to lay it down on its side. I can remember the dust and the the straw from the grass and everything floating in the air being hard to breathe with the dust and the fiber and everything. And then they roll it up like a carpet, and I'm in the middle of it, and just being rolled right on up. And then they uh, keep rolling me across the field to a, a dirt road where there's a flatbed truck, and they get me up on chain-link fence and me up on it. Then they... Um, go to a, a location where there's like a uh, an army field hospital temporary uh, tent hospital and then they discuss what to do about the situation and eventually they uh, cut all of the excess fabric off and the only thing left is the piece that actually laces through me uh, from that point they're discussing what happened and they came to me and told me that they're on the radar radar they caught uh, a person or a movement that traveled from another planet through space to earth and found a young man that had made this journey through some time time warp tunnel and ends up he had fallen in love with my daughter uh and they found him and had brought him to us. And with him and his help, they discussed on how they could reverse things. And the decision had decided that they were going to take me into this heavily wooded, tall tree, jungle-like area. And they tied ropes to the top of three very large trees and bent them down uh, with the idea they're going to tie it off at a uh, spike in the ground and then they put a net on it, rope net and I was to get in it and the young man was going to get it and at the count of three they're going to cut the rope and they're going to sling me back along with him back into the time tunnel that he traveled in and send us back. I realized that it couldn't be reversed they couldn't send the metal back it's going through my body that means I'm going to have to leave. So we set our Goodbyes, and I figured I wasn't going to see my family anymore. And uh, after the goodbyes, uh, the countdown uh, started up, and boom, they cut the rope and were slinging. I can remember that period is like in slow motion. Uh, I can hear the trees cracking and, and the snapping of limbs and force taking place. And I looked over at the young man and I said, thank you so much for uh, helping make this reverse and go back to where mm -hmm. life is normal. And he, he said he had learned a lot and just about at the full throw and we're about ready to be slinged off, uh, they, there was a bright light and a loud boom. They had fired off a cannon to simulate the lightning strike and the noise to simulate the whole reverse process. Mm -hmm. And at that point, he reached, the young man reached over with a hook and he hooked my leg to the net. And 
we hit the full throw about that time, and he went uh, slinging off. And as he did, he says, you were never m- meant to make the trip. And when he left the net, along with it, went the metal out of my body, but my body stayed. And then I was brought back, and the, the metal in him went back into the tunnel. So you, you were never meant to travel. You I was gonna... never meant to make the trip back. Right. That would, I think, hindsight, that would have not uh, actually reversed things back to the way they were. If I had made the trip, it would have thrown their end out. Ah, okay. That's what I think, hindsight. Uh, it, it then, uh, I'm back on the ground. We give our hugs and are and our grateful to have things back. And, of course, my daughter with her husband today, which was is and was at that time her first love, uh, was back together. Everything was back the way it should be. I turned to thank uh, the man in the work clothes, and him and his helpers were gone. Everybody was gone. Kind of like the ball dream. Exactly. There's parallels between mm-hmm. all of the dreams. And then uh, number five. This is the shortest dream, and it's also the most important dream to me. Mm-hmm. Somebody's uh, asking us to finish the dream. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. am, I, am I making this too long? Or? No. No, no. Uh, just... just Please continue. Okay, number five um, was uh, uh, I had a friend that I grew up from elementary school, very close, all of our growing up years. He died um, a year prior to this happening to me. And I find myself walking down a sidewalk. His name was Chuck. I say, hey, Chuck, it's me, Mike. Uh, he turns around. I said, boy, you look great. He looked at his prime. And I said, man, uh, you look great. It's good to see you. And then we went back and forth a little bit about, uh, you know, where you been? What to, uh, and he says, wait a minute. What are you doing here? And I says, I don't know. Where is here? And I remember looking around and not recognizing anything. And then I heard the voice of a person, a, a nice, soft man's voice over my left shoulder like he was standing on a porch and he says uh, I mentioned that Chuck said I don't think you're supposed to be there um, and then he had to look like we just got caught by mom for doing something and then I heard the voice and the voice says I don't th-, he says it's not your time Life is going to get better for all people on planet Earth, and you're going to want to be there to see it. And I turned around to see who said it, and nobody was there, and I turned around, and Chuck was gone. Mm. Like I say, it was a very short dream. He didn't say, you're going to go home, and you're going to win the lotto, and life's going to get better for you and everything. He says, life's going to get better for all people on planet Earth, and you're going to want to be there to see it. But, it, but again, it's not your time. Yeah, he said it's not your time. Mm-hmm. And so I, well, today I believe that was Jesus. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess we'll get to the summary. But that's that's similar to other people that have had dreams when they, or, or you know, experiences where they were approaching death and they were told it's not your time, and then they return back yes. to the current reality. 
It sounds like you went through something sort of like that. Hindsight, yes. Yeah. But at the time, I was just on a sidewalk. He's suffering two strokes. Blood clots in both legs. He's going through a serious medical condition. I mean, they... I go back to the guy uh, in the wheelchair that says, focused on, we're going to save his leg. His life was threatened. Yeah, well, yeah. For sure. Multiple medical causes Mm -hmm. for dying. Big blood transfusion. Wow. They went through a lot of blood, too. I'll bet. Yeah. Um, But I can't stop there. There's number six. Okay. (laughs) But wait, there's more. (laughs) No, this is really good. It would be nice to just let it in there with with that dream. But there was a bad dream. Oh. And uh, this one, uh, I found myself kind of tumbling in what I call goop, like a, just like, like a liquid mud, goop. And my hands appear, uh, appear to be tied behind my back, and my ankles are tied. I can't, I can't move my arms or legs, but I'm floating and I'm holding my breath and I'm underneath this liquid. I don't know how long I can hold my breath. But luckily, just about the time I'm going to gulp in this goop, uh, my my head comes above the surface and I'm able to get a gulp of air. Mm-hmm. I can't see because of the goop on my eyes and back under I go. This happens in my dream about, I don't know, a half a dozen times and I'm beginning to wonder, am I going to make it to the next gulp of air? Am I alone? Where am I? All of these thoughts going through my mind. Um, one time, uh, uh, the question, am I alone? One time I came up, and when I gulped for air, I was able to squeeze a look across this top of the goop, and I could see somebody else in the uh, goop also, and it appeared as though they were dead. No life in them. Uh, another time, uh, I got a glimpse of outside the pool that I was in, it seemed like some sort of stainless steel uh, giant tub. And I was tumbling with a current, like constant movement being created by like in a cement mixer sort mm-hmm. of thing. And uh, I could tell that outside the tub were, were people that were wearing masks and in white coats. So I assumed it's like in a hospital environment. And then I'm wondering, well, why am I in here? And I, oh, they think I'm dead. And they take the people that are dead and they put them in this goop and they keep them fresh by tumbling us in this goop so they can harvest our body parts and sell them. And that's oh. that's how the dream was taking me. And I go, well, wait a minute. This is all happening in between trying to get a next breath of air. And uh, each time I don't think I'm going to make it. And I think, well, wait a minute, I'm not dead. Uh, they need to find out, but I can't, I can't say anything. There's not enough time to make noise and still get the air. So this is the dilemma that I was in at that point was how is this going to come out you know i'm gonna have to make a decision do i just give up 
and not take the next breath? Or do I hang on to hope and just keep doing what I'm doing with the hopes that they'll recognize that there's one in there that's not dead and he's still struggling to stay alive? And that's how that dream ends. It drifts off with me continuing uh, not giving up hope. Wow, so th- that's a dream that's related to your life, your death in the balance, mm-hmm. which is what you were experiencing in the real world. In the real world, it was hindsight. I can look at it that way. Yeah. In the dream, it was, well, it was like a living hell. I yeah, was, yeah. It was torment, mental torment. There's nobody there to help you. It's just you and the goop and the Lord. Mm. And I say, that's where this has led. This has uh, led me much closer to my creator. And I came out of these dreams. And like I said, uh, I don't know if it, it could have been the last five minutes that I had these dreams or or sooner. But it seemed right after number six, I could hear Gail's voice, my wife. And uh, they were waving a... This is when I was coming out of this. They were waving a, a light in my eyes saying, uh, okay, Mike, uh, open your eyes. And they were flickering this light. Well, every time I trying to open the, my eyes, I get this blinding light in my eyes. So I didn't really want to open them. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so that I could hear him saying, well, see, he's not responding. Well, mind you, I can't say anything because they got ventilator tubes in my throat Mm -hmm. and I have this conspiracy theory going that they're wanting to harvest my body parts in the back room (laughs) right Right. and uh, they're trying to convince Gail that I'm the living dead and to give up on me and and she's hanging in there but uh, this is not this reality this was my reality this is a reminder of that um, but then Gail uh, said, well, uh, let me try. And so they said, okay. And, and she, uh, she said, Mike, squeeze your eyes tight three times. I thought, I can do that. I don't have to open them. I can squeeze them tight. Mm-hmm. So as far as I know, I squeezed them tight, good, three times, closed. And um, she said, see, did you see that? The doctor act like he didn't see it. And I go, that? They don't want to see that. Mm. They want to convince her that I'm a goner. So, okay, fine. I'm going to check out of here enough of this. And I was going to let go and just go back into my dream world forever. Basically, I knew that I could give up at any time and, and be with the Lord. You know, uh, but then at that moment, I decided, fine, I'm out of here. See you all later. And I gave thumbs up. I'm out of here. And just at that moment, Gail says, give me thumbs up. So my mind was telling me the story one way. Reality was another. Now, because of one of the strokes, I was uh, had lost the use of my right arm. I didn't know it. Um, and also because I had been putting up some fight, they had my wrists tied off to the bed rails. 
Uh, and what had actually in reality had happened was my left thumb went up, mm. an obvious. In my mind, they both went up. I'm out of here. I'm checking out. <laughs> All right. You know? And um, so at that moment, uh, everybody saw that. And I heard a lot of, on my side, I could, what happened? You know, all of a sudden, there's a lot of noise in the room, and people sound excited. And I was just checking out, you know? Um, and then I could hear Gail say, uh, get those tubes out of him right now. And so they started pulling them out, and I had been trying to cut them off with my teeth. That was my fight. It was uh, I felt they were trying to... Uh, do me in with those um, in any event great they're going to take him out I got to let him know I'm alive which kind of relates back to the goop hmm. and I realized that I'm, I can't say anything my vocal cords are dried out from the air that they pump in and I came up with uh, you got to say something and you have to say it with everything you have with all the volume you can get up and what are you going to say? And I thought, I'll say the word wife. And so when they pulled the tubes out, I came out with this, what? It, it <laughs> sounded like a, uh, Gail says it sounded like a big squall. Hmm. It didn't sound like any word except maybe why mm-hmm. that they could get out of mm-hmm. it. But they heard it down the hallway. <laughs> wow. You let it out. <laughs> and the doctor's came in and she said it looked like the living dead coming alive you know it's just that it got everybody's attention wow so at this point that was my eureka moment that was the moment was it five minutes two weeks i don't know i know that it has changed my life those dreams have Mm mm-hmm well, especially if you had that opportunity to speak with your old friend mm-hmm. who you grew up with, who told you it's not your time, yes. the man on the porch who you thought was Jesus, mm-hmm. he suddenly disappeared. The man that helped you escape being brought into the fence mm-hmm. who helped you, and then he suddenly disappeared. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of um, metaphors, I guess, of... Yeah of what you were going through and what the implication is in your in your real life. Right. And the fact that I can't forget them. It's not mm-hmm. like not it's not like right. the dreams that you uh it's like a song you heard you just can't get out of your head, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like that. It's just always there. Uh, and they've become uh, a good tool in my mind. I reflect on them on a lot of things. I think that's why. Well, there's another example. And so they were God-given dreams in my mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. So you get, a, you get a sort of a moment of clarity, right? Yes. Yeah. I've had experiences like that in my life where I didn't really understand myself. Mm-hmm. And then once I figured out... Oh, there, you, there you go. You're picking up for I'm me. Picking up. Okay, so um, I'm infringing on your turn. It's okay. No, I'm glad you did. Uh, so we're we're trying to get the the video here working correctly. But no, yeah. there are times where, as I was growing up, I had all these kind of unusual things that had happened in my life or weird experiences. But once I began to understand myself, 
I then look back on those things in my life and I go, oh, that makes sense. And that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And oh, now it all fits. Mm -hmm. So you kind of went through some sort of a version of that. Oh, big, big way, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mostly coming away from the dreams and going into uh, reality and and I'm coming back into the reality without the use of my right arm. Uh, there was things that when the, like there was a particular nurse that comes in to see how much damage may be uh, due to the strokes. Um, uh, there were little tests that she would do, like, uh, can you tell me what time it is? And right behind her is the clock on the wall. Now, this is a trick. She's asking me the time and the <laughs> clock behind her? Really? <laughs> But now, here's a topper. There's two clocks on the wall, and they're side by side. Now, how did they pull that off? Fact is, is my eyes were not superimposing. Uh-huh. I was seeing two separate clocks on the wall. I don't even know if I ever told you that, Pete. I can understand, though. Okay. <laughs> He's saying here with the big glasses. Well... <laughs> Can you can we take the leap to what this means to you on a spiritual basis oh, and how yeah. this really changed your life? I, I'd love to hear that part of it. Well, from the nurse on the road, uh, I see it as an angel. We don't have her name or her address. She was just there at a particular moment. We haven't been uh, able to find her. We've been trying to find that woman. Wow. And it's like she doesn't exist. Wow. And Pete told me, uh, I was talking to her, I heard her say something like, my work is finished here. And he says, I turned around and uh, she was driving away. And nobody got her information. She didn't drive away. I never saw She got up and left. And I was so focused on what the cops were doing at that stage of the game. But I never got to say thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, well, it's just like your dreams. Exactly. The person person shows up to help, Mm -hmm. and then you go to thank them, and they're gone. Exactly. Now, Pete saw the doctor in the wheelchair, but um, I wasn't alert at the time. But here's a, a doctor who had lost the use of his legs and had all the incentive in the world to try to save this person that came off the highway and save his leg as well as his life when the other, the bone doctor, was basically saying, we can't save the leg and save the man. Yeah, I never told that part of the story was the fact that we were getting stories that they were going to have to amputate. That the leg was beyond repair. But this one doctor said, no, we're going to save the leg. And it's interesting. It's a doctor in a wheelchair, in a wheelchair that wants to save a leg. That's that's why I, he's an angel. This whole story has been mulling around in both of our heads mm-hmm. for four years. Another angel. Coincidences are just too great. So to just what year did this happen? Uh, this is in seventeen, twenty seventeen. Okay, so four years ago. Yes. Not long ago. This this yeah. next month, uh, June twenty one. Of seventeen. Oh yeah, that's the summer solstice. Yeah. Summer solstice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm not only alive, but 
but also I have my leg. And I'm also, it's a viable leg. It's getting better all the time. I still have nerve damage and can't lift my big toe, but I'm, it's moving a little well, bit. You walked in here just, just, just like yeah. anybody else would. Yeah. So I was happy to see that. Oh, well, I, it's been a long road. Long, it's been a long haul. Yeah, I'll bet. But like in the goop, you don't give up hope, and you just keep going. Mm-hmm. Now, on the spiritual end, uh, once I, I don't want to leave out that after I was on the mainland, and it was quite a deal that I got to come private jet mm-hmm. uh, from Maui to the mainland, I thought that was really unusual. Normally they might medevac the person, then the family uh, have to find their own way home, but they not only took me, but they also took my family and their luggage. Did Kaiser pay for that? Yes. Oh, wow. They did. Good for them. Uh, Yes, really. Yeah. Um, He was their first patient. Okay, all right. He was a dignity. Patient number one. Yeah, but they took very good care of me through the whole thing, uh, I would say. Hindsight, there's a lot of people that have horror stories, but the the fact is they took very good care of me, and the um, maybe the downside might be the paperwork side, which is not unusual for big <laughs> right. uh, corporations. But uh, once I got to the mainland, I was at the uh, – that's where the – the test on the two clocks and how much damage might be done. Uh, the use of my right arm uh, came back, it seems like to me, in a couple weeks. I got my right arm back. I was always right-handed. And it actually is uh, more steady than my left hand, which was considered my good one, which I have tremors in the fingers still that that I think might go away, but there's shakes in it that I don't have and the one that went dead on me. Um, and then um, to jump further forward, I was um, I, I went to a care center after that location that I had helped open as my first main job when I was in high school, 50 years prior. I mean, I helped open it. Uh, there was the administrator of the building, and I was unpacking the beds, and it was it was a, it's a California convalescent hospital, and it's in, um, in the La Mesa area, and I helped open it right down to putting the tags on the walls and everything. Fifty years later, I'm a patient in that care center. Wow! It changed uh, ownership. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful to that because back in the day, 50 years prior, the people that went in generally didn't leave alive. Mm. So it was uh, kind of like a last place you'd see. Right. I didn't want to go there because of that. And then my kids went and interviewed them and and found that it was a whole different setup. They want to get you up and going again. So uh, that was... An interesting thing. I would sit with other patients in there, and they had fireplaces in their rooms, and and the other patients would say, yeah, this was a hunting lodge back when, and this was a honeymoon lodge back when, and I'd be sitting in a wheelchair going, no. I used to light those fireplaces. (laughs) (laughs) It was a convalescent home back then. Mm -hmm. That was an interesting period of time. Then I made it home, and I was in a hospital bed at home, 
in his yeah. family room. Screwed up yeah. game nights entirely. <laughs> no more bunko, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not to mention our uh, our sleeping quarters is upstairs, and when you don't have the use of a leg, and and to look at the stairway and wonder, am I ever going to be able to climb those stairs? These are a lot of the things that when people go through a traumatic uh, injury that you start trying to find out, you know, how are you going to over- sure. uh, overcome the next problem. But uh, we had a, a person come to the house that was uh, basically an advisor to the accident. And he asked me um, how I – something about spiritually and how it's affected me. And I said, well, I feel – much closer to my creator. Now, okay, I'd had a couple strokes and a concussion and still recovering in a hospital bed. But the next question he gave me, I was, I didn't know how to answer. He says, so what's his name? Hmm. It's like the two clocks on the wall. My head is going, well, God, does God have another name? And this is in my head. Gail said later, I never said that. So things happen that that have gone through this period where I, I don't have the answers as to why I didn't answer. I thought I did, you know. But um, he recommended that it might be, I came up with something like Jehovah or something. He said, well, that's one of them. And, and then he turned, Yeah. <laughs> and then he uh, turned to Gail and said, uh and then back to me and says, you know, I got this church I go to. It's a Bible study church, and uh, it's up in Alpine. I highly recommend it. Give it a try sometime. I invite you. And so while I was still able in a wheelchair, we made a trip up there, Mountain View Bible Church in Alpine. And they they didn't come across like I remember in my early years where it was a business past the hat where's the money and all this business end of it which relates to which is why I left the organized church mm. because of that aspect of it right so. they've never come across that way they saw me coming in and they right away it's a small congregation um, I right away felt uh, like I belonged, uh, they went down, moved one of the center aisle uh, chairs so that my wheelchair could go in there, like up front. And the very first time that I heard the uh, younger minister up there, uh, it was like he was talking to me only. How did he know all of those right things to say? And it's been a couple of years now, and it hasn't changed, except. I'm walking in instead of being in a wheelchair. And it's been two years now, and uh, I never get this, uh, you know, it's all about the money. Mm-hmm. It's all, we just want to talk about the Lord. And one of the things when I first saw my son, I told him the very first time, that was when I was at Kaiser here, that I said, you know, Bert. I think Jesus spoke to me. And then he mentioned it to a friend of his uh, that was very much in 
to the spiritual end of it and Bible study. And he said it was interesting that I said Jesus instead of God. And all of these things I'm now learning from what I thought I knew before uh, when it comes to the Bible. You, I cannot excuse that book in my life anymore. I now want to know what's in it. I want to know about Jesus and God and how they are together as one. And and it connects. Everything's coming together. It's connecting. Incredible. Life is better in a lot of ways because of it. Wow. Another thing that I need to throw in. At first, uh, especially going to church, you're supposed to forgive those that harm you or your enemies. Forgive and, and those the, that trespass against us. Is that, that in the Lord's Prayer, I think? Um, I'm supposed to forgive the man that ran into me. Mm-hmm. And I look at it as... Uh, he never even hit his brake. Uh, these are thoughts that go through my mind. Uh, he seemed to just trying to take me out. Uh, and I'm supposed to forgive him. Uh, what am I supposed to do? Hey, bro, no problem, you know. <laughs> Have a nice day. I forgive you. But it has come with time more and more. I told Pete, and I think um, definitely my immediate family, I told them all, you know, I not holding hate against he didn't get up that morning to run into me anymore and I got up that morning to get run over so. mm-hmm. but happened. on the spiritual end I'm finding I'm leaning more towards it wasn't him it, it was the evil forces in him that allowed this to happen and like me saying reverse the action of my accident on that one dream how I, certain things, I believe, are allowed to happen spiritually in your life because of the better good of the big picture. Right, right. And that's where the spiritual end keeps coming into my life now, today. Oh. It's, a, uh, it's an amazing story. It is. I mean, this is unbelievable. Something that something that Mike and I did at a frivolous moment <laughs> um, four years ago. Well, yeah, and and plus, it's like uh, we were gonna we're gonna go through kind of a summary here. I don't know if we've already done that or not, but um, one of them is like um, like the Domino Man, the very first stream. Now, that one didn't particularly have a man in overalls that turned around and disappeared. That was doctors working on my leg. I got fixed, and I went to a party. Hindsight, how does that parallel with the other ones? Uh, I look back, and I go, maybe it was a prediction. I thought originally that uh, the dream is just showing how well we've, far we've come along with repairing broken people and getting them fixed. Uh, but here, looking in hindsight, four years later, uh, we've gone through a very uh, big changes with the pandemic that led to us coming up with uh, a vaccine that saving lives. 
that parallels off of it to me. And then also the political changes. Uh, there's a lot of confusion. I just, I look back on it and I see that life has gotten better, like in the party afterwards. Our families were having a party. Everything was good afterwards. Um, it's not just about the medical gotten had gotten better. See what well, I mean? Yeah, that's I, I how do. they tie in. We got a three-way podcast out of this. Yeah, we did. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. It's you know, this story was not in my head when I did Eureka Moments. Eureka Moments was a very selfish, self-centered point of view where I talked about my decision to ride submarines. Right. Okay. It's You're talking about the time that you take in places like Pahrump where you settle with your life, mm -hmm. the things you're doing. I think it's a necessary thing for all of us. I think that this particular story and Mike's big takeaway, which is finding the comfort of weighing the dreams of what happened during a horrific medical circumstance, what was going on in his mind, to tie that to his newfound spirituality, he's exactly the person my dad was looking for. Ah, yes, yes, yes. So we talked about that at the beginning. At the beginning of yeah. the broadcast. Yeah. I wanted to bring that story out ah. because I ran away mm -hmm. from his church, his religion, his belief structure because I saw it as a bad thing as a business. Mm -hmm. Mike's never had any strong feelings towards church for the very same reasons. We became friends with that as a common factor. We like motorcycles. We have the same outlook towards other things. But then there was a moment, a motorcycle wreck, that created great bodily image, a little bit of a guilt complex on one part, and he's the found the spiritual meaning that my dad wished he had. That's the convergent coil right there. Convergent coil. Yeah, that's the intersection of people's different timelines mm -hmm. all coming back together. Hey, if you don't mind, we got a couple of questions here on the on the live stream. Sure. Um, one from from Boutros Galli. Is that like our former UN secretary? Uh, um, how did the doctor in the wheelchair get in his wheelchair? Do you know? No, I, I could not tell you because I wasn't there. I was in another world. We were in a very chaotic situation. To answer, to answer your question directly, I had just arrived at the hospital. Mike was going through the initial ER screening, and they were making the decision of what they were going to do. And we were literally in the hallway with Mike being wheeled off to surgery, operating room. Gail and Wendy were there with me in the in the in the hallway, and that doctor was the most persuasive of the three that were in the hallway talking about Mike's case. And it was almost an over-the-shoulder statement: "We're not losing the leg." I mean, that guy's head went over his shoulder as he was wheeling right down the hallway behind Mike, going down in the gurney. Who the guy was? 
I have no clue. Wow. It was a hallway encounter in Kaiser, what is now Kaiser Hospital. What was it? Memorial? What? Uh, Maui Memorial. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I met him once uh, and saw him once. Is in spite of the fact that he did the surgery. The, the wheelchair doctor did the yes, surgery? Yes, I saw him, and I have a picture in my mind. When I before My story is it was before I was leaving for the plane, but I'm sure it was probably a day before. Um, I, he leaned forward when I was in the gurney and made eye contact and says, With given time, you should have one day a viable leg. I'm sitting here with a viable leg. Four years later, but it's a viable leg. It didn't say a perfect leg. It said mm-hmm. a viable leg. Yeah. So, how how long what, what did it take you till you could walk again? Uh, a year and a half, two years. Wow. Uh, probably closer to two years. So, and during that time, you were either bedridden or in a wheelchair. Yes, and then making it to a walker, and then. Even with a cane, but I think... uh, It was dangerous in a walker, let me tell you. (laughs) Yeah. He was more controllable in a wheelchair than he was Mm -hmm. in a walker. Once he got mobile on his own, you know, not having to have somebody around to get him through doorways Mm -hmm. and stuff, he was dangerous. He'd be all over the place. (laughs) Another comment here is from, uh, it's like, Gradior Dignus, Burton said to watch. You know who that is? We know who, exactly yes. who that okay, is. Okay, so that's someone that you know that yeah. is tuned in to watch the story. Yeah, that's Burton. That's okay. my son. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. All right. This is special. Great. I hope it went well. <laughs> I think it is. This yeah. is good. I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm fascinated by this. I mean, the, the, the higher purpose of my podcast is all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. And that can go in a lot of different ways, right? I mean, there's a, you know, right now we're talking about the life part of that, right? The life part of it. Yeah, which is all about living your life and and experiencing everything life has to offer you. But there's the whole idea of like what happens after life. Mm -hmm. And you seem to have been dancing on the fringe of that. He was on the fringe for two weeks. He was on the fringe of life. Right. And, and, And you had multiple experiences that said, now it's time to come back. Mm-hmm. to your previous life. Mm-hmm. And and that story, I've heard that repeated by, you know, other people, you know. Well, one thing uh, I can tell you is that even though uh, you say, well, you know, someday we're all going to die and all of a sudden, I always thought back, you know, dying's not any fun. I mean, you know, that it's going to hurt maybe. And so I'm, don't look for I don't have a fear of that at all anymore. Dying is like going into a dream. It's still living, but it's in another reality. Mm -hmm. And that's how I look at it today. So taking away that little edge of fear that a person may have, I can guarantee you that it's not the way our fears tell us it's going to be. Well, no one really knows. Nobody it's not like they've, someone's That's gone. to tell you about it. You know? Someone's yeah. left, gone yeah. there, and then come back and told us what's going to happen. Yeah. But people have been on the fringe, on the edge. Um, and it's interesting that the stories are similar. Did you experience the, the light in the distance, no. the tunnel, that story that other people have experienced? No. Uh, I know Pete has had a theory on it. Uh, 
that I've heard. And there's a lot of theories. But um, I think when you see the light, that edge you're talking about is very close. If you've, Maybe you've already stepped over that edge and then come back. Mm. There's, there's something greater than all of us and all things around us. And that's what I came out of this whole thing with. And that's what's led me spiritually to seek it out. There's, there's a greater force than all things. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, we have a sign on the screen that says your battery's low. Oh, really? Okay, that, that's a problem. <laughs> Let me check on that. I thought I had that plugged in. Just making sure of there, John. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> okay. Is it, is it go away? Yeah, it's going away. Rescue complete. You saved the battery. <laughs> and I think Pete would agree that before this uh, uh, retirement we took and, and this first vacation that Gail and I, we had just retired and everything, that before that I was pretty much a workaholic. I worked harder than one man should work and uh, nonstop. And I was going to play just as hard as I worked Mm -hmm. when we went on that vacation. That was the first big vacation of retirement. And now I look back and I go, was I robbed or was I rewarded? Mm -hmm. Because now life is getting better. I mean, on the spiritual end, I can't I didn't go bitter. I didn't go angry. Uh, I didn't Oh, that's not give your up. character anyway, Mike. You would never have gotten bitter or angry. That's just, you're, that's not a part of you. No. I've seen you. That's a compliment. Yeah, yeah I've never, I've seen you in a lot of situations, mm-hmm. and you are always looking at the positive side. That's why, you know, we're good friends. We look at positive signs. Thanks. That's a compliment. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot to the story, and the story's not over. No, yeah, not uh, at all. It's, um, there's a whole lot that hasn't been said that uh, that has happened in four years. You know, for all of the uh, the dreams and everything relate to it. It's the core behind it. But my eureka moment hasn't. Uh, my story hasn't finished. The moment of it ha- starting. That finished. That was there. Is there something that, based on what you've experienced, mm-hmm. is there something that you would want to share with the world to recommend that they do or recommend that they consider? I would, I would say that there's a lot of people out there that are so concerned about keeping that next appointment or uh, – being concerned about the money and uh, all the, when they say that you can't take it with you, you can't. But I've gotten something out of this, I believe, that I can take with me. And that's faith. And I've got faith and hope. And, uh, and I've always been stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> so put all that together and... Uh, I'm taking something with me, and if you've got something that that you're putting off that you think you would surely be rewarded doing, 
Do it. Do it. Yeah. Uh, Just like the Nike ad, right? Just do it. Yeah. We are going to get to the top of Haleakala yeah. one way or another. Well, Pete, Pete felt that way about his Corvette even, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's, there's things that's a material thing. Yeah. Won't be able to take it with him, but he can take the all of the memories with him. All of that reward. So, And I've got great video from two guys of me doing the bus stop turn at Spring Mountain. There you go. Mike Smith, John Riley, you're great photographers. You <laughs> caught the moment. Perfect, yeah. yeah. Calypso, yeah. Calypso made it into yes. this podcast. I can't believe it. <laughs> well, you, know, you have figured out a way to weasel her in. Um, so Boutros, Boutros Galli has revealed himself. He says, he says this is Burton here. Oh. And, and I believe the doctor in the wheelchair lost his legs in a motorcycle accident. That's what I heard. Yes. And then Boutros Galli or Burton goes on to say, God is very good. He is. Wow. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we all, you know, you know, again, no one knows what the next life is. And, you know, we all, we have these, you know, these stories that are told to us about heaven up in the clouds and the angels and the harps. Some people believe our next life is like a parallel universe. Mm-hmm. You know, I think. Mormons, to a great degree, believe that that it's just like you experience another somewhat normal life. the The Indians believe in reincarnation, you know, from from the people from India. Um, but for you, it was like another dream state. But, yes, but uh, what is reality? It kind of comes up. Is is this really reality? I'm telling you, those dreams were real. Yeah, and you could almost say, "Well, are we in the in a dream now, or is this reality?" Now, I believe this is reality. My world, my family, and uh, we didn't go to church on a regular basis, and now I've got my wife and I, and and we're not just going to church; we're going to Bible study, and we're trying to learn and improve our lives, and I see it working. A lot of positive coming from it. What's your biggest benefit that you've experienced? Uh, from which the spiritual, and which is from you know going to church and Bible study and getting better. What's been the big payoff for you? Uh, I, I think the finding a friend in the Lord. I mean, there's something. Outside that I never took. I, I always told the story when people say, what do you believe in? Uh, I'd say, well, it's kind of like the battery. And then they'd think, well, you're a loony, you know. <laughs> and I said, well, the battery's got a, po- like your car battery's got a yeah. positive post and a negative post. And the positive being good and, and the negative being the bad part. Well, in theory, negative pulls from positive. And the theory of the electrical part of it. And so I'd always say, keep your positive posts charged. And I told that to a friend of mine that was uh, given three years to live of cancer. He called me back four or five years later and said, thank you. He said, that was one of the best things that somebody could have told me. I've been trying to look at the positive and keep my positive side charged uh, through a lot of negative times yeah so because that way you still you don't give up hope um and you have something to live for yes and i it was a good thing to tell him at the time i look at it now as boy 
was I just being really naive or what? But I'm learning so much more now. And uh, Pete grew up with it. Maybe yeah. he turned away from it, but I, I never away, did. I, it's so. important to understand that I turned away from the organization of it, the mm-hmm. mechanics of a church. Okay. Um, I still have my belief structure. Mm-hmm. I maintain that belief structure. Does it occupy a significant amount of time? No, because it's always been there. It's always a part of me. It's a part of my life. You're going to love the hell out of this. It's a part of my life while I'm here in this that I perceive. From my perceptions of this world that we live in, Mm -hmm. I'm damn lucky to have landed in the one country that seeks out liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. I've been to bunches of other countries, and it ain't that way. That's right. right? They have different emphasis. Mm -hmm. So I'm very pleased with where I am, with my situation. Do I want it to be an organized thing? No. Because this is my life and my terms, mm-hmm. which is what you talked about in your last podcast. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you know, I got very important, good friends, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that we were able to come together today. This it is satis- great. Satisfied a need of mine for, I've been sitting on this for 18 months. Well, we couldn't do it because of COVID and you know, we didn't want to do it like a Zoom call. You know, this we needed to be together. Yeah. to do this properly. Mike, I th- thank you for sharing. I mean, th- this is an extraordinary, not just not just everything that you went through with the accident, the trauma, mm-hmm. the dreams, the learnings that you've had, but it's just amazing how your life is so dramatically different now. Yes, it is. And and so much more positive. Um and it's and it took a terrible accident to to get you there, but now you're there. Um, it, it's just it's just an incredible story. Well, I, um, somebody said uh, he was trying to get your attention. And I said, well, <laughs> maybe maybe if he could have just tapped me on the shoulder. And better. then their comment was maybe he had been, and it took a little harder. To yeah, and yeah, now he had to really. Yeah. Grab you by the shoulders and shake yeah, there's it. A, it. It can be something that I could let turn into a, be a terrible situation for me and the family forever. Mm-hmm. Or do everything I can to make it, it positive. Right. And I'm not doing it by myself. I'm having spiritual help. Right on. And, and, and family I, help. I'm grateful and, for that. Yeah, Very for grateful. sure. Wow. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. This is a great story. And and I enjoy having these conversations. I mean, my podcast, sometimes I talk a lot about my local hometown of Poway, or we talk about politics, we talk about cars. This is a great topic. This is something completely different. Um, But again, it's all consistent with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And um, I'm thankful that you're still here enjoying your life. 
yes, maybe more so in a lot of ways. Yeah. I feel like I got a ball and chain on the ankle, you know, <laughs> but that's um, just something that I'm overcoming and will continue. And that's the ball that will help balance the world. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought a ball? <laughs> okay, well, um, are we leaving anything out, Pete? I think we've hit the points that I've been desiring to get communicated because this is an important story. Mike and I spend a lot of time talking about this, and I said this is a story that we have to have available to us for people. Yeah, to yeah. So it's now, you know, we're going to – We'll, we'll have the story on the audio-only po- podcast platforms. It'll be saved here on Facebook and YouTube very shortly. And uh, hopefully we can all refer back to this if we want to tell a friend about this podcast and Absolutely. they can and they can ex- re-experience our conversation. Uh, I think there's, well, there's people even at church, I think, would love to see it. Yeah. So. Well, please share it. Um, all right. Well, to the audience that's out there, thanks again for listening and thanks for watching. Um, this is uh, the John Riley Project. Thanks to, to Mike Smith and Pete what's, Yield. What's the episode number? 237. 237? Yeah. Oh. That's a lot. This is amazing. <laughs> this is really amazing. Yeah, we're going to keep going. You were my num- episode number three. Is that right? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And, and and about 14 others. And in about between. 14 others. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I it's all good. Okay, friends. But, but we've got stories to tell. Yeah, that's the that's what makes podcasts good is stories. Yeah. We have good stories to tell, and this is a fantastic story. I mean, it's a it's unbelievable. So well, I have a I have a great uh, sense of feeling that I need to tell the story. Yeah, for whatever that's worth. And uh, especially the one life's going to get better for all people on planet Earth. Yeah, you know, I wanted to, I meant to ask you about that because I wonder what that means. So do I. But I, I do know that he said you're going to want to be there to see it. And if so, I have to be here alive to see it. So it's going to be something. It's going to be in my lifetime. Now, okay, here's a theory, okay? Okay. You notice how the Pentagon has been like coming uh, open with about all the UFOs? Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. Maybe that's it. Maybe. Maybe that this is a major moment for the people on Earth uh-huh. that we're going to finally encounter extraterrestrial intelligence. Or, never or a physical phenomenon that we have not been able to observe. Right. Okay. So who knows? I mean, it's fun. See, that I, something I, remarkable is going to happen. Yes. And um, I have a strong sense of it. Uh, and I have a duty to tell everybody I run into the market. People may be sitting about, oh, here he comes again. But uh, I, every time I can squeeze that little life's going to get better for all people. It's a sense of being able to give hope, mm. which has been, when you look at all of the dreams, hope was a big factor. Time was a big factor. And uh, mm. it works in mysterious ways. Everybody's sitting around the table with a pandemic. Uh, The cupboards are full. (laughs) The gas tanks are full. You know, because they're prepared for the worst. And yet, in some ways, maybe it's all for the better in the big picture. You know? Yeah. Just looking at the bright side. Holding on to that positive uh, Uh, post. Yes. All right. Hang on to that positive. Keep it charged. Yeah. There we go. Can I, can I use one of the quotes in this podcast 
that yeah. I sent to you that you have not used yet. Please. You never know what you least expect most. You never know what, what you, you least expect, expect most. most. This story is in there. In okay. The mix. You just never know mm -hmm. what your priorities are and how they're going to hit you and how you're going to react. Now, That's right. one big point mm -hmm. to all the motorcyclist people out there, and please drive like you're driving for everybody else around you. There was no reason for that accident to have taken place. Defensive driving could have been in place, and we didn't do it. We had an accident. The, I might add to that that the biggest reason I sold my motorcycle wasn't because it was any fault of the motorcycle or me as a rider. I wanted to leave it on a good note. And I knew that the worst thing for it was to sit in my garage. So it's moved on to a new life. Got a new owner. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Okay. That's all right, friends. Well, thanks again for joining us. Episode number 237 of the Giant Riley Project is uh, it's in the book. All right. We'll see you later, friends. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor. Subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog, or get more information, please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.